Welcome to episode number 204, How Do You Know? Again, I apologize for being late this week. It seems that my pain and suffering get the best of me once in a while, and this particular weekend was one of those weekends. On a different note, after you have listened today, if you would pass this episode along to another person whom you think might be able to benefit, I would appreciate it, and I believe they would as well. For about the last six months, or even the last year, I have been listening to audiobooks before I go to sleep. I enjoy books, but I'm not a novel person. I really don't listen to novels or fiction. I generally listen to doctrinal books or, at times, biographies. And while I enjoy a good biography, especially those of men and women I admire, I struggle with many of them. I don't often finish them, especially when they are about general authorities. I have started many and finished few. Maybe I'm alone in my struggle, but I tend to think that I am not. They make me feel terribly inadequate and somewhat depressed at my own life. I just finished a book about President Nelson and got about halfway through the President Oaks book. Now, I admire men of that stature, but it really reminds me just how weak I am in comparison. Yes, I know that I should not compare, and I have spoken about that very thing regularly. I have also noted that our brains are wired to compare. When you really want to know what it takes to obtain celestial life, you tend to look for examples of people whom you think are probably going to make it. And while no one person can say for certain, I would assume that the apostles and first presidency and most of the general authorities are probably a fairly good bet. So we watch these individuals carefully. We even do it subconsciously. We want to understand what makes them tick, why they do what they do, what they are thinking and feeling. Somewhere deep inside of us, and maybe not so deep, we feel that if we can model what they do, we might just have a chance at redemption. Maybe we can do just enough to squeak into the celestial gates. This probably sounds strange, but sometimes I just hope for a small cottage on the wall of Zion and maybe just be a greeter at the city gates, not even sure if they have gates, walls, or greeters. They can just give me a small garden, a couple of animals, and hopefully my companion and my family. But I suppose that will be up to her. The second point, or the point, is that biographies, especially those of the prophet and President Oaks, didn't make me feel all warm and fuzzy about my chances of getting into celestial life. I think President Oaks did more good and more work by the time he was 30 years old that I doubt I would have any chance of matching him in my lifetime. Again, not a competition, and I know that. And don't get me wrong. If I were the Lord, I would choose exceptional men and women to lead the church. So the biographies don't necessarily surprise me. But they don't help either. I suppose in some ways it would be nice to see the biography of someone who I could feel that same level of celestial confidence in, but who struggled a lifetime with mental and emotional illness, or who didn't quite have the energy and strength to accomplish as much. I know that we have good examples, such as President Kimball and his physical struggles, and George Albert Smith and his bouts of depression, and I have certainly read some wonderful things about them and their struggles. Sometimes I guess I would love to see someone similar to my own weaknesses and struggles speak from that particular pulpit. Someone whom I know understands my personal struggles, my difficulties with depression, bipolar, anxiety, and just in general mental health concerns, and even my physical concerns. 
I suppose that it's natural to want to see someone like ourselves succeeding in ways that we also desire to succeed. Now, yes, I understand Elder Holland did a wonderful job of speaking to mental health issues, and I do cherish those words. But his bout of depression was quite different in scope, time, and depth than my own. Now, why is it that we desire such things? What is it that makes us feel as though we are not good enough? Why do biographies of wonderful men and women cause me to feel my own weaknesses so deeply? Why do I feel that the Lord would not accept of my offering? Those biographies and other instances have really caused me to ponder and think about my perception of redemption, salvation, and, of course, exaltation. I know that those of us who suffer regularly with episodes, small and sometimes not so small, struggle deeply with the idea that someone as weak as we are would be acceptable to the Lord. And yes, the emotional altering nature of our illness does not help us in rectifying those feelings of inadequacy. I feel it all too regularly. The feeling really is lonely. It's as if we are standing on the outside looking into celestial life, and between us and Zion stands that emotional beast we can't ever seem to escape. I have said it before in several podcasts, the reality that anything stands between us and celestial life is really a false narrative, spun very well by Lucifer and his minions. I know that nothing stands between myself and celestial life. I know that the race I run is individual, provided specifically for my good, and is different than anyone else. In comparison, again, is one of Lucifer's methods of madness. And yet, I feel those glaring weaknesses and the distance between myself and what I would like to be. And so, here I am between what I know to be true and the lies that Lucifer proliferates around me. I suppose that the real question is, how can anyone know, especially when they suffer with an illness that directly affects their ability to know? How do you know if you are running the race at the pace and in the direction you need to be running? Especially when faith is an emotional state that falters regularly with each mental health episode. How do you circumvent the feelings of isolation, depression, anxiety, fear, and everything we feel and don't feel to rise to the level of I have a chance to make it. One answer is that we will not always be able to feel it. Now, I don't think that is a secret. Our illness, by its very nature, takes that away from us. And you will not be able to circumvent it. You will feel worthless, incomplete, incompetent, and unable to achieve celestial life from time to time. Now, we are living in a strange new world, one in which we have never experienced Physical bodies and the chemistry of mortality was part of the test. The Lord could have designed mortality any way that he desired, and yet what we experience is what he provided. Given that he's omniscient and has the history of eternities at his disposal, I would have to assume that what we have in mortality is perfect. Perfect in the sense that it provides the absolute ideal laboratory in which to refine a celestial life. The life that you have been given, that I have been given, has been individually tailored in that mortal laboratory to your pre-mortal experiences, weaknesses, strengths, and individuality. Nothing in our life is random or of little value, unless, of course, we walk away from the protection of the Lord. Then, naturally, we can walk into things that may not possess or provide us value. When we work with the Lord, 
our lives are woven into the fabric we created in our pre-mortal life. We are refined and tutored by our experiences. How a life with mental health challenges fits into that narrative, I don't always know. It has certainly expanded my understanding of the gospel in ways I could have not experienced in any other way. But exactly how my illness pertains to and aids me in my quest for celestial life is not, for me, always very clear. Would I like it to be far more clear at times? Yes, of course I would. But trust and faith are somehow key elements of mortality. They always have been. Faith is one of the most important elements of this life, and by extension, must be critical to celestial life. We spend a great deal of time developing, maintaining, and working towards greater faith. And a good portion of the written word has been dedicated to faith, and through faith, the changing of our nature. While this life is most certainly a test, it is a test with a significant learning component. Normally, we think of a test would be simply a practical examination of what we already know. But in the Lord's world, testing also comes with learning, and with learning the expansion of the soul. We have not been sent to mortality to simply change some behaviors. Behavior modification is not necessarily change. Behavior modification can come from simply aligning the correct motivational sources to the behavior we want to see. However, when those sources change, so does the behavior. The nature of that we need. The change of that nature that we need. The changing of our core nature requires a deep learning experience and moments where stretching of the soul can occur. I have learned there is a sacred space where we view our weaknesses and ourselves in, our, in its entirety. When we see ourselves for who we really are, when we reach the end of our rope and our capacity, when we have come to that point when we can when we feel we can give no more, then, and only then, the Lord can expand our soul and mold our nature. When life is good and we are free from trial and difficulty, our souls tend to contract and to get mired in mediocrity. We see no need for change or any value in its difficult, dark places. When we feel all is well in Zion, we feel that we have no need of repentance or modification to our lives. We can even feel entitled to celestial life in that state of mind. True change, true repentance as it might be called, is found in those liberty jail moments, what some have called a prison temple. Those moments when mortality becomes all too real and the things of this world are stripped away, and we seek for more eternal natures. Now, I admit, I do not enjoy my moments of suffering and pain. I don't think that anyone enjoys those moments. I doubt that we think this is good for me to be here. I can learn so much in this place of pain and suffering. But yet, it is a sacred space, and when we are long passed into eternal life, we will value these moments of pain and suffering more than all the beautiful, peaceful moments in our lives. Because this is our time to learn, to experience, to find understanding, and to become like our Father. If those moments provided no significant value, then we would not experience them. No father, or mother for that matter, would place their child in a position of deep pain and suffering without a significant reason to do so. In fact, as mortal parents, we would only allow it under life and death circumstances. We do not desire that our children suffer, and 
truly, we often suffer right along with them. I have no doubt that a perfect father and mother would feel the same. When we are trying to live the gospel, and maybe even failing, but we are trying, then no suffering should be seen as some type of punishment. Disregard for our happiness, aloofness, or lack of concern for us as our father's children. Every moment we experience difficulty, trial, heartache, pain, and the natural strangeness of this mortality that we have been given and allowed to be part of our experience is for our good and ultimately to provide for our celestial life. So often we think of our illness as perhaps preventing us from returning to our celestial home when in reality it is our illness that just might be the difference between a celestial eternal life and one of a lesser class. I know that that is a tough reality, and I'm not sure that I have even come to fully accept it. However, when you consider a loving father, and that his created mortality must be the perfect environment to provide for celestial life, then there can be no other conclusion. He would not exclude us from his presence, but does everything to bring us home. And so how do we know that we are going to make it? because the Lord in his mercy chooses not to give into the easy path and allow for easy roads that do not lead to salvation. If we in faith ask, for instance, that we are to be healed and the Lord says no, then we should know that we are headed toward celestial life. Otherwise, he would heal us. If we find ourselves limited emotionally, physically, and mentally, and we are trying to live the gospel, then it is part of our celestializing process. Now, I know that that doesn't always make sense, and I suppose that in this life it might not entirely ever make sense to us. But if an omniscient God, with a perfect plan for mortality, sees value in mental health challenges, then who am I to question his methods? My answer to the question as to how I know that I am on the path to celestial life is that the Lord continues to tutor me in difficult ways. My mental health challenges, in some strange mortal way, is the Lord's method of telling me that my path is secure and that He is watching over me, and cares enough to continue to mentor and tutor me. In the end, I hope that you can see the Lord's love in these methods, even when these methods might be terribly difficult, painful, and troubling. When we get to the end of our rope and we reach out to the Lord, we are truly in a sacred space. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do His.